You are listening to inspiring stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary stuff. Welcome to the Doolanders. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Well, here we are, Blake. This is episode 46. 46 of the Doolanders. Pick up sticks. Amazing. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the saying, is it? Is it? I don't know. It rhymes. It does. We've got to stop these bingo time. <laughs> I'm showing my age. I'm showing my age. How's your week been, mate? You, you're looking fit. Thank you. What, what have you been doing? Well, now that it's not cricket season, yep. uh, given that it's June, it's 30 June, happy end of financial year for everyone, mm. uh, I get stuck into cycling. So it's um, it's just cycle, cycle, cycle. We get up at five thirty in the morning, jump on the trainer, yeah, or get out with some mates out on the slippery dark roads. Yeah, when it's raining, we uh, I think you know twenty years ago you might have got out there and just gone. I don't care what sort of weather it is, but now yeah. you know you look outside, bit of drizzle. Yeah, what in, else you been doing? Indoor trainers, amazing. Uh, well, during football season for twenty three weeks of the year, except if there's COVID. Uh, there's a thing in our local football club, which, as you know, I'm president of our local football club. And it wasn't started by me. This was started by someone who doesn't like being named. We'll name him Dean Waters. Well done. Um, and it's called Devil Dads. And it's a bunch of dads yeah. who are associated with the Parkside Junior Football Club or the Parkside Amateur Football Club who get together on a Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, do a training session. Right. It's footy skills and drills. It's handballs. It's kicking. No contact. Is an age range from fifteen. Yeah, I think the oldest person might be in this. Is the fifteen-year-old a dad? <laughs> no, no, that would be a bit, uh, bit awkward. Um, but all it is is just a kick, yeah. and you have a run around, and it, you actually get into that flow state where everything just sort of blacks out, and you're just running around, and you feel like a kid again, except for the hamstring tightness, <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah. and, the, and yeah. every night without fail, you'll see someone just <laughs> stop running, and they just walk <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> They've pulled a, pulled a hammy, done some sort of injury. It's without doubt. So now that the, actually the, oh, the, the, the group of injuries, there's probably about eight of them. But it, it started off with just a handful of people. Yeah. And I started going three or four years ago, and sometimes it'd be like six or eight of us. Yeah. And then it, it got to a point of the best that ever turned out on a night was 60 or 70 people. Get out. Unbelievable, That's right? amazing. And over the course of 2019, we obviously didn't do anything in 2020, 2019 – a hundred and something people turned up over the course of those 23 weeks. Amazing. In the first two weeks of 2021, 80 people had already turned up. So it's just grown its own sort of thing. And mm. our next guest, Ricky Johnston, the executive director of Peter McCallum, mm. uh, that's where I met Ricky. Actually, he's one of the dads just jogging around, having a kick. Has his form on the footy field. Yeah, he's, he's pretty he, he good. He goes all yeah. right, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, you can tell when someone who's kicked a football before gets the ball and uh, you're pretty happy when Ricky's kicked you a ball. Yeah, nice one. Well, let's get into it. He's got such an amazing story and uh, we know that you're going to love one. Love one? And just <laughs> love one. <laughs> you know, you, we're gonna, you're going to love one. You're going to love this. Here's Ricky. So, Doolanders, this is part A of our interview with Ricky Johnston. Hope you enjoy, but don't forget to check out part B. It's coming up next. Hey, Blake, before we get stuck into this episode, yeah. where should our listeners go if they want to hear more stories of people doing? They should jump on to www.thedolanders.com.au and what will they find there, Nick? No, not .com.au, Blake, just .com. Oh. Don't make that mistake. You can hit us up on Facebook, 
You can hit us on, up on Instagram and our website, and you can find a whole heap of pictures, articles, links, recipes. Not a ton of recipes, okay. but you, you just never know what you'll find. Thedolanders.com. No.au. Do it. Hey, Ricky, welcome to the Doolanders. How are you? Oh, well, thanks, Blake. And uh, yeah, thanks to you and Nick for having me. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Our pleasure. Mate, how's your day been? You've, you've been training your guts out for a, a wee run in, uh, in the Gold Coast. You may not get there. Yeah, a little bit devastating today with uh, Queensland announcing they're going to lockdown. And I was uh, meant to fly up on Friday to run the marathon on Sunday, my first ever marathon. So. Ah, I'm a, I'm always the optimistic one amongst the group, so I'm hoping yeah. that things settle. I'll get out on Friday and still be able to run it on on Sunday. But um, yeah, it's good to get fit, and it's good to have a it's good to have something to aim for. I think yeah. that's that's been really important, actually. Have you always had stuff to aim for from a, a physical or a sport? Always, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's just the way I tick. Yeah, you know, always got to whether it's planning. You know, holidays with family, whether it's the next catch up with the mates, whether it's something to do that night, you know. Um, yeah, I always got to have something planned. Yeah. Nice so you, one. So you'd be tapering right now. I, I am tapering, yeah. Go on to the 20K runs, I'm back down to, you know, 12, 10, 8. Just the small ones. <laughs> I ran around Princess Park last night, actually. It was beautiful. Yeah. Like, mm. still. Flat, flat, <laughs> and and lots of people out just yeah. doing their thing. You know, it's just got a, had a good vibe about it. So nice one. Well, what are you going to do if you can't get up there on Sunday? Well, part of me says I should just go out and run forty two on Sunday around here. But um, yeah, maybe what Blake was saying before, maybe I should check out other Melbournians who can't get up to Queensland. There might be a whole group of them um, get out and run a marathon. So I'll do something. Good luck uh, wherever you run it, mate. Yeah, thanks. Hey, but we always like to ask our guests on the Do-Landers, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, who am I? Well, mm. I always, if I'm honest, I answer that I'm just a boy from Preston. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, not just a boy. <laughs> no, just, just a just boy, boy from boy. Preston. Yeah. Um, and what I do, um, well, my role at Peter Mac is I'm Executive Director of Cancer Research at Peter Mac. Um, I'm a scientist. Um, ultimately, that's what I do. Yeah. And not a day goes past when I don't love it, actually. Is that right? Yep. It's, uh, i got the best job in the world, by far. I mean, you know, I wake up every morning and think, I'm going to learn something new today. Mm. That's a great way to live. It is. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, other people inspire you. But, you know, I mean, just the... The unknown, right? Yeah. You know, what's going to happen today? And we're going to talk to a student who got a result overnight that, you know, is going to blow us away and it's going to be this, you know, really interesting thing. Yeah. Or, you know, is there something that didn't work but was going to make us think a little bit differently? And, and um, yeah, never a dull moment, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, I might have stolen a few of your words here, but um, from what I understand, cancer is a consequence of altered gene expression. Mm. So, and the turning on and off of one or more of those genes at the wrong time or in the wrong cells can alter their behaviour yeah. and cause cancer. Yeah. Is, is that right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, really, cancer is just uncontrolled cell growth. Right. So cells proliferate and divide when they shouldn't. 
or they live when they should die. Um, so it's just, you know, uncontrolled activity of a cell. And if you think about, you know, what makes a cell tick, mm. it's the DNA, right? It's right. The, the blueprint for everything. Yep. And so if that blueprint is screwed up, yep. um, the end product is going to be screwed up. If you're going to build a house and you had a blueprint for the house, if someone came in and moved a few things a couple of inches one way or another, your house isn't going to be square. Yeah. Your house isn't going to be functional. And that's exactly what happens with cancer. Our genes get screwed up. Um, genes get turned on, as you said, you know, when they shouldn't or they're altered, they're mutated in some way. So the end product is not what it should be. Right. The blueprint is stuffed. So the the influence on the blueprint, how much of it, how much cancer can be attributed to external influence of that blueprint like the sun and other things um, as opposed to internal because like I think about those people that get hereditary mm-hmm. cancers like ha- ha- do we know like is there a yeah yeah we, we do and it's a it's a good point so so for some people through their genetic lineage the blueprint is a bit stuffed yeah and it gets passed down from person to person so you know, Breast cancer is a good example. So there's a gene called BRCA1 that um, is hered- is mutated mm. and that's passed down from, from mother to daughter and mother to son, actually. Men get breast cancer too, believe it or not. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that we know that that's a major predisposition gene for breast cancer. So that is part of the inherent blueprint that gets passed down and, and you know, that's called a germline mutation. So it's in every cell. Every bit of DNA in that person's body has that mutation. Right. But then there are others that are called somatic mutations that occur just occasionally and in one or two cells. And that can be, for example, from sunlight, UV radiation. And what UV does is it damages your DNA. Now, that's what I said at the start where cancers where, you know, there's an effect on the DNA, on the blueprint, but our cells are usually really good at dealing with that. They'll They'll either fix it or they'll stop growing, or they'll self-destruct and die. So you've got to have all of those things go wrong for cancer to be caused. And that's why actually cancer's, you know, it's a pretty rare disease. When you think about the number of insults we get daily, walk outside, you get bombarded by UV radiation, what we eat, you know, there's carcinogens in what we eat, think about smoking, think about all the other things. It's amazing that we're all not getting cancer all the time. (laughs) And And it's just the wonder of biology. I mean, yeah. that's – so you ask me, you know, that's what I think about when I wake up and I'm like, how <laughs> yeah. awesome is it, right? Wow, wow yeah. That, I don't think about amazing. that every time I do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, are we winning – we. Are you winning the fight? Like, you know, we've – It's. it feels like to me, and I don't know about you, Nick, but it's the disease of our generation. Like, you, the big C and you, you hear about it a lot. Uh, are you winning? Yeah, we're winning. And the, the statistics tell us that. So, you know, in the 19... Here's a good example. In the 1960s, if we had a child with leukaemia who was diagnosed with leukaemia, you may as well kiss them goodbye. Mm. You know, maybe 15 or 20% of those of, you, of the children would live and, you know, usually with sort of horrendous consequences. 
And then that's how chemotherapy was really developed on the back of childhood leukaemia in Boston at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. So they basically poisoned the kids. That's what chemotherapy was in those days, you know, which, within an inch of their life, um, literally. So now if you've got a child that has a leukaemia diagnosis, I don't know, 92% survival rates. Incredible. So you just think about that, right, yeah. you know. And, and without all of those horrendous, most of the horrendous side effects of, 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 um, of chemo. I mean, you know, Nick, we've got boys playing for Parkside, one I know in particular, who had leukaemia when he was a teenager. He's playing senior footy now. Mm. And that's Amazing. fantastic. Yeah. And there's those stories all the time. So, so Blake, you know, in answer to your question, yeah, we're winning, but it's, it's not a battle... We're never going to, at least in our lifetimes, yep. cancer is never going to be eradicated because it can't. Is, it, is that because of the volume of influences on that blueprint of a, yeah. a DNA? There's yeah. just so many things coming at it. Yeah, and, right. and, you know, our cells replicate all the time. So, you know, if you have a photocopier and you've got all the papers lined up yeah. and you're photocopying... Yeah. Sometimes the paper's going to jam. It's yeah, not always going to be right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. think about your DNA. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. So things go wrong. Yeah. And it's the same with replicating our DNA. Things just go wrong sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, we could lead the most, you know, sort of environmentally pure lives that we could ever lead. But something will go wrong. Mm. And, you know, occasionally that something will cause the blueprint to be affected and cancer will be caused. So... I, you know, it's never not going to occur, but we'll diagnose it more quickly mm-hmm. and we'll treat it more quickly and more effectively and the, the, the consequences of cancer will be less. And that's what we're seeing in our lifetime now. All yeah. of those things we're seeing. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it's great. So well, we'll get to your story uh, from Preston to where you are now being a, a world leader in this area. Um, talking about these external factors, now Blake will try and blame Facebook on everything. <laughs> Will I? <laughs> I will, yes. You will now. <laughs> what are, is there any historical evidence to suggest that when we were farmland people or, you know, the Industrial Revolution hadn't yet occurred, that there was less instances of the cancers we see today? You know, what's the impact of everyone carrying a mobile phone around today? All of those sorts of things. Are we, are we seeing any evidence that the lifestyles that we're leading and putting us and our kids through is any different in terms of cancer um, proliferation. Well, the b- biggest effect is that cancer is a, a disease of aging. Oh, okay. So we yep. live longer now. So, you know, if you went back to the early 1900s, people didn't live as long as they do now. Yeah. So it's a numbers game, right? And you just think about it. You know, yeah. we're getting insulted all this time. That, you know, our DNA is being bombarded, it's being affected, it's, it's replicating, and that doesn't always occur, right? So the longer you li- live, of course, the chance of something going wrong increases over yep. time so as we live the population lives longer now we see more people eventually get cancer of different types um but of course there's lifestyle things you know i mean smoking it's very clear that in societies where smoking wasn't as prevalent the lung cancer rates are going up look at china and those sorts of things you yeah. look at places like australia and other western countries where smoking is being phased out lung cancer is decreasing i mean you know the best one in australia is melanoma slip slop slap in the 
what, 1970s, 80s, best public health campaign ever. Ever, yeah. Norm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was life being Oh, it was too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Slip Slop Slap campaign, yeah. you know, I mean, basically stay out of the sun, wear a hat, put on some sunscreen, and that's completely altered the trajectory for melanoma in, in Australia. We still, melanoma is still, you know, a major problem in yeah. Australia. Yeah. Um, but it's not prevention has, has made bigger gains for that disease than any cure would. Mm. Given what you know, do you alter the way that you live and consume things? Um, yes and no. So I never smoked and I don't think I, I ever would smoke. Um, and I know that, you know, that that obviously has a bearing on it. But, you know, am I the most sun-smart person in the world? Um, no, I still get out in the sun, but, you know, I'm aware of stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't go overboard with it, um, but, you know, I listen to, to you know, what I know. Yeah. You know, you live a bit of an evidence-based life, so, yeah. Yeah. you know, don't go crazy on certain things. Yeah. Um, Watch yourself a little bit in the sun and, and don't smoke. I mean, there's yeah. some basic things. And, you know, get out and run around a little bit. Yeah. Get healthy. Yeah. yeah. You know. Look at you. <laughs> Have you noticed any flow-on effects from having almost a year of lockdown last year with decreased number of reporters, reportings, um, people being more sedentary, anything like that? So the biggest thing that we faced at Peter Mac were um, patients not coming in mm-hmm. because they were scared to. They were scared to come into the hospital. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the restrictions were such that people couldn't get in. And what happens then is people come in later with their diagnosis, and that's a problem, mm. you know, because it is true that the earlier we catch it, the easier we can treat it. Um, and so we're seeing that as being an effect. So patients are presenting with more advanced disease, and that's more difficult. Yeah. Mm. So, so, you know, Nick, that's... That's probably been the biggest thing that we saw. And, you know, look, there was a time there last year where Peter Mac was preparing um, to perhaps, you know, maybe have COVID patients in it. You know, I mean, we were yeah. – we didn't know how this was going to go. We were thinking there might be, you know, literally thousands of Australians dying every mm. day of COVID. Mm. And the public hospital system was thinking, geez, how are we going to manage that? And, um, you know – scientists at Peter Mac, we were being trained to be orderlies and, you know, um, healthcare providers when the nurses got sick. Yeah. So, you know, I got trained to, you know, how I was going to run around and help clinical staff. Yeah. So I'm not medically trained. Yeah. Um, but myself and the other scientists at Peter Mac, we had to be the third tier down, you know, the th- if, if, all the, if all the clinical staff and the medical staff got sick because mm. who was going to look after the patients? yeah. yeah. Well, fingers crossed we've avoided that. Oh, look, we, you know, I think we largely have. Yeah. Um, it was pretty scary there for yeah. a while. Mm. Well, being part of the health system at that at its height must have been super scary. Uh, it, it was. And it, and it, so we thought about it, you know, because you, you break it down and you think, okay, well, well what are we going to do as sort of individual teams? So, you know, we thought about research at Peter Mac and there's 700 researchers and so you know obviously our research is going to stop and you know we're going to be prepared to help the hospital then the hospital okay well how's the hospital going to change to to help the Royal Melbourne across the road and the Royal Children's down the road Mm. as you know they're managing certainly the Royal Melbourne which was going to be a major you know COVID hospital Um, and then you think shit 
okay, what about the rest of Victoria? What about the rest of the country? Um, and we were having those conversations at the hospital exec table, like, you know, every day. It was it was, um, it was, it was pretty full on. Yeah. Um, Focuses your mind, though, that's for sure. You've got to be on the ball, don't you? Yeah. You're sharp. You, oh. you wake it up every day, right? Yeah. Got to make some stuff happen here. Yeah. Y- your job's got a bunch of different layers, like, you, you said up front you're a, a scientist, so there's the whole – you've got your own lab of researchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you've got another 40 labs of researchers that you oversee. Yeah. So 700 people, researchers, um, that, you know, are coming to you every day saying, you know, what do I do next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, as you said, you're part of the hospital exec team and you oversee the operations and the finance of the organisation and you're responding to situations like COVID-19. When you look at what you do, because it must be so varied and yeah. a whole bunch of context switching, and you know, what gives you the most enjoyment? Oh, it's always the science. Yeah. That's... So I'm a, you know, do you wear a white coat? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I refuse to wear them whenever they come and do photo ops or you know news stuff because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it just—it's so ridiculous. I mean, I haven't done anything in the lab for oh, many years, yeah. and if ever I really walk in the lab with a white coat, I all the guys in the lab just give me a lot of shit <laughs> because you know yeah. what the hell are you doing here? Yeah, oh God, yeah. he's got to screw something up. It's funny, so, funny that you wore one today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing one now and <laughs> my safety glasses. Um, but it's not, you know, I think you have to be genuine. Um, but, Blake, I think it's, to me, it's always, it's the thrill of the science. Um, but I take I take a lot of pride in working for Peter Mac, like a heap. Mm. Um, and so, you know, if there's other things that I do for the sake of the, the hospital and the organisation, then... That gives me a lot of pride too. Like, like you know, when we were preparing for, for last year about worst-case scenarios and, yeah, well, it was terrifying. It really was terrifying at some time, at, at points there and it was, yeah, it was pretty stressful. We, we always thought that we were, we're actually at our core trying to do the right thing yeah. and I think that motivates you terrifically. Yeah, yeah. We're going to um, wind back to where it all began shortly but when you think about the work of your team yeah the 700 researchers like how do we stack up globally how does your team stack up globally when it comes to research yeah so it's important to remember at peter mac we have you know the full pipeline from discovery based science where we're you know really doing fundamental science about you know how it is that cancer is caused like mm. really at the you know sort of the molecular level yeah all the way up to, you know, clinical research and clinical trials. We're doing, you know, we do 300 clinical trials a year at Peter Mac. Yeah, wow. Most of them are what are called first in humans. So we've got, you know, new drugs, new new, new therapies that we're trying for the first time in, in patients um, and then up to sort of health services research where we look at, you know, sort of the outputs and the outcomes of that. Right? Is it what we're doing, is it really having an effect? So, you know, that full spectrum having that all under one roof in a public hospital is unique in the country. Right. There's no other centre like Peter Mac in the entire country. Yeah. Um, and then if how we stack up globally, um, so we would compare ourselves to the co- top cancer centres in the world like Dana-Farber or MD Anderson or Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. Um, and we don't have the scale of those groups, but I think we've got the quality. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think it's something that, 
you know, we we should be proud of having you know Peter Mac's been out for seventy years. There was yeah, you know yeah. Sir Peter McCallum had this view seventy years ago that that we should have this centre where clinical care and research and education was all under one run roof and out of a very small building in Lonsdale Street, you know, got it up and going. It was just visionary. You know, 70 years ago thinking about that yeah, and thinking that research was going to drive the best in clinical care for, for cancer patients. It's, it's, you know, you talk about people who've really got, they really switched on. Jeez, amazing. Well, you are, and we'll come back to, I've got a whole bunch of questions for you around <laughs> how you go about what you're doing because it, sure. it's, it's so super impressive. But let's talk about how you got there. So you actually grew up in Preston, yeah. as you said, up front, um, which for those people, um, we do have people listening overseas. It's, uh, um, so it's a, a blue-collar suburb, you'd, you'd describe it as, um, but you're super proud of your foundations, aren't you? Oh, totally. I mean... You know, at the time, you don't know any better. Mm. You know, you don't know any different. So that's just your environment. And, you know, I think um, it was interesting. So um, it is blue collar. And I had this um, commission house label attached to it. So, you know, commission housing, public housing. And um, those houses looked, you know, all the same. They're all sort of built the same way. But as a kid there, you know, we didn't discriminate who lived in that sort of house versus another sort of house or anything. That's we just kids born and raised in Preston. And we we did our thing. So um, yeah, and I think I think what grounds you there is that sense of real community. Like mm. you know, I didn't know it at the time, but it yeah. was. Yeah. So you know, you'd be out in the streets playing footy on the street or cricket on the street, depending on what the season was, and wherever you ended up, there's where you ate. You know, like, you know, <laughs> the parents are just, oh, okay, well, Ricky's here, you know, of course we're going to feed him. So you just, that's what happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's that real community spirit and just looking out for each other, that was ingrained in us from very early ages. Yeah. yeah. Your old man passed away when I think you were about 10 and you, yeah. your mum was a single mum and and raised you and you, um, you had a couple of siblings, but they were older, a lot yeah. older. But she worked three jobs to yeah. make it all happen for you. Yeah. What did, what, what did you, what's your mum taught you along <laughs> the way? Uh, just get on with it. Right. I mean, seriously, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she got, you know, left, I guess, trying to raise me. And, and my older sisters were, you know, starting to move out of home by then. But, you know, it was all that responsibility. And, you know, there was never any woe of me, woe was me moments. And, and she... She made sure she enjoyed her life too. Like, you know, we'd go on family holidays down at Coinscliff and our mum would pitch a tent, you know. We'd have a we'd have a block in the caravan park. <laughs> we didn't have a caravan. We had a we had a canvas tent. Mum would put it up and I'd try and help out and yeah. um, you know, and she just got on and made the best of her life. And yeah, she had to work, you know, numerous jobs and you know, one of them she worked as a barmaid at the what was called the Council Club Hotel, and then it became this horrible nightclub called Richie's, but it was a pub down in Preston. Yeah. Um, and she had to work night shifts. So, you know, I was 11 and she'd just leave me at home and, you know, come finish at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And that's just what, that's what, that, that's what I learnt, you know. Just, okay, these are the cards you've been dealt, you just get on with it. So I think about that, right? So I think about me at 11, right, Blake, I'm off to, <laughs> off to work, I'll be home at midnight, get your own dinner, have a shower and get into bed on your own 
like I would have been scared shitless. How, how did you deal with that? Or it was just that's what you had to do? Yeah, well, it's, it's what you had to do. But but remember, go back to the previous question. You know, I lived in a community yeah, yeah. where I knew two doors down was yeah. you know a family that I knew, and four doors down was another family that I knew, and six door. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I never felt. You know, I felt that, that that's that environment, that safety that I lived in. You were never alone. No. Well, it's you know, it's, it sounds a bit pithy to say it mm. that way, but, but it, you're not, you know. And I don't know, it gives you that sense of real security that, you know, there's other people looking out for you. And they know you are, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, and... I don't know. That's just that's. I didn't know any different. Yeah. So it's just, it's just he just got <laughs> on with it. Just got on with it. Yeah. yeah you know. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, you um, you think back to your teenage years. Mm. Did you know what you wanted to do? Like, nah, I didn't actually. And and you know, look, I, I going to Preston East High School, which was the school I, I went to. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing that came out of Preston East High School was Peter Dacos. Oh, what Dakes. really? Yeah, Dakes. Yeah, yeah, Dakes. So he was a couple of years older than me, and his younger brother was a Victor was a year younger than me, and I yeah. and I used to muck around with Victor a bit. Um, so you know, if you weren't an aspiring VFL footballer, which is what Dakes <laughs> was in those <laughs> yeah. days, and yeah. still, I mean, he was still going to school and he was playing first at Collingwood. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a very strong sports school. Yeah. Um, but you know. Most people finished in year 10 or 11, went and did trades or something else. And I think I got to about year 10 and thought, oh, yeah, I'd better get on with it here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my friends, you know, left to, to you know, go and do an apprenticeship or, you know, moved on. And um, I just thought, well, okay, I better make something of this. And I and I liked – I actually liked learning. Right. I, I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. And, um, and then I had a few teachers who really invested in me. And you know went above and beyond to help, mm. and so yeah, it just sort of came about. That's pretty mature at that age to understand that you like learning, and when everyone else is leaving school, presumably a lot of your mates as well, that you went. Nah, I think I'm going to stay here. Well, most of it was because they said, "RJ, you know, you're no good with your hands. You can't fix anything. So, <laughs> so you better do something with your head." <laughs> um, fortunately, is that true? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Um, I, I, I can paint. <laughs> I can paint the inside and outside of a house, but I, yeah. I can't fix much. So I okay. go to the experts and yeah. get my mates to help me out. Um, but I, I always played sports. So I could. One good thing is I could I could swap in between you know the sport guys because I was playing I could play footy and all that sort of stuff and that was good, and I could sort of you know do my education part as well. So I could easily jump in between those worlds. Um, but then the world's got smaller. Like the mm. you know a lot of the footy guys you know left and. And uh, yeah, and and you know, my VCE class, we had I don't know twenty five people in it or something. It was tiny because everyone had left. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone had left, and it just wasn't. It just wasn't the. It wasn't the direction that people took at Preston East High yeah. mostly. You know? a- and it, it it featured in the in the was it the Herald Sun? The Sun was the double page spread. Yep. What was the headline? Uh, School of Despair. Yeah. Um, so they. They condemned the building during my VC when I was doing well HSC in those days because it was literally falling down. When, if it rained heavily, um, <laughs> the water would come through the roof, through the ceilings, and basically flood the corridors and the and the classrooms. And we just think it was hilarious. You know, it's like okay, that's pretty funny. Um, 
but yeah, I, but like I said, you know, that's physical environment. Mm. It certainly wasn't. It wasn't despair when I think about the people that were there. Yeah, you know, I mean, I just had teachers would, you know, say, okay, come to class, come, come to school tomorrow, seven thirty, Ricky, and we'll do some maths tutoring. You know? mm. So I'd turn up, and they'd turn up, and they didn't have to be there to do that, but they did, you know, and you know, I. It sort of taught me that, you know, your physical environment doesn't doesn't make you what you are. I think it's it's all about it's always about people. It's always about people. Totally agree. That was the end of part A of our interview with Ricky Johnson. Check out part B now. <laughs>